Meow. This is Tanya Todd, writer, producer, and soon-to-be director of Morning Sacrifice, a tragic romance where a vampire poses as a detective to help the woman he loves search for her missing husband. This sensuous detective noir short film explores how even the most altruistic love can turn monstrous. If this story strikes a titillating nerve, or if you simply love vampires, consider contributing to our crowdfunder at seedandspark.com. Funding for this film is supported in part by Nevada Arts Council and National Endowment of the Arts, but we still have a long way to go. Check out our enticing incentives. Pick the choice that excites you most. Join me, and we shall make a dark and delicious love story. That's Morning Sacrifice at seedandspark.com. Hello, and welcome to Banned Books Conversations, where radical readers discuss prohibited prose. I'm your host, Tanya Todd, and we're here to talk about banned books, literary works that have been removed from a library shelf or school curriculum. Over the course of Banned Books Week, this series is covering seven different books, the reasons they were banned, and the value in reading them. Today's book is Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez. I should warn listeners that there will be spoilers ahead, but before we get to that, let's meet today's Radical Readers. Vogue, please tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Hello, uh, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Hi, Susan. Um, So yes, my name is Vogue Robinson. I am the former Poet Laureate of Clark County. I'm pretty much an advocate for the arts pretty consistently wherever I go. I'm an author, a writing consultant, and a visual artist, Uh, and I work at Left of Center Art Gallery. Come see me. And Susan? I will. My name is Susan, and I've most of my life written software or technical articles, and now I'm trying to write fiction, and I'm a very avid reader. So, so Susan, what is it about the banned books conversation that interests you? I think it's indicative of our the path we're on to authoritarianism, and I mm. worry that in our polarized society, this concept that we mustn't learn about anyone different from ourselves is only making it worse. Mm. What about you, Vogue? I think just as a, as a reader and a writer and somebody who, like my sister is six years older than me. So books were my friends. <laughs> I spent a lot of time reading mm. and I, I read everything I could get my hands on. And so I just think about, you know, how reading opens up the world the same way that, that travel sometimes can. And that reading took me on so many wonderful adventures. And so I I think I'm, I'm in the line of in between of thinking about, you know, are there things we should or shouldn't be writing, um, things we should or shouldn't be reading, and then just thinking about, you know, who gets to make those decisions? And is it about that or is it about, you know, whether or not we have conversations before, after, and during the things that, that, we, that we're reading? Um, so, yeah just like the state of literature, which I love so much. (laughs) (laughs) So Vogue, have you ever had an experience with a book that offended you? And if if so, how did that affect you? You know, as a kid, we read Babe and Charlotte's Web and the word bitch was in both of those. And I remember taking it home to my grandma and being like, oh my God, what, like, (laughs) If it's in here, does this mean I can say it now? <laughs> and then it was like, okay, well, what's the dictionary definition? Well, it's a pregnant, you know, female dog. So like it has 
there was a time where it was more colloquial and not used in the same way. So it was about how the language changed and transformed. And I still remember being like uncomfortable with the word just popping up in like, cause it was the the dog that was like the mom to babe. And I was like, y'all gotta stop calling her a bitch. Like, <laughs> girl, don't call so uh, I don't know if I would call it offended, but just like surprised. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of books that that carry the N word in it. And so, you know, the uncomfortable conversation that comes when if you're reading aloud, you get to that word and you go, OK, well, what do I do with this? Like, mm-hmm. do I read aloud because I've been asked to read it aloud? Do I not say it and and not even have the full context of why I do and don't say the word like as a kid? So I think there are so many places and times where I've been uh, confronted with or presented with, you know, books that have made me be like, oh. but uh it made my life like richer like it opened up conversations and I had my grandmother was a teacher so Mm -hmm. I had somebody who was willing to just have very kind of semi-adult conversations with me or I don't know she trusted me to think and and look how you turned out I know thank you (laughs) (laughs) so Susan have you ever had an experience with a book that offended you Mainly, I've been offended by books that were written in a different time, and I have to grapple with whether the author, the story, the classicness of it is worth having to put Mm. up with that N-word in there or whatever else it is that I really wish it wasn't there. And for me, I like to read mysteries. So a lot of the old hard-boiled detective stories, um, Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, you have to get past a lot of ridiculous misogyny in those books. Mm. So, So it offends me. And then I just have to make that value judgment. Is it, is this book worth, am I going to read it anyway? Cause it's worth it. And in the case of those two authors, yes. And sometimes no. Is it enough to to read uh, two pages of description of this woman's breasts that have nothing to do with the mystery and what what those breasts are doing to that sweater? Oh, (laughs) yeah. I'm what he's going to do. What about you, Tanya? I'm curious if you've come across like a book that has kind of stirred you up a bit or made you feel like. Definitely, because there are moments where it's like, how did this, how was this part of the world where, where people actually spoke about others like this? There is just so much racism prevalent in so many books and not just now, but in history and the anti-Semitism, which is just, it's spoken like it's, it's casual, mm-hmm. not like, Hey, we're pointing to it. It's just a thing that's thrown out there. That's just the way it is. And yeah. definitely the misogyny that we read an Ernest Hemingway book in for the Henderson writers group book club. And it was just, yeah, this book was not written for me. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he is not a talented writer because when you get into murdering bulls, yeah, he can, be extremely descriptive the writing was done well but the topics just don't interest me and the way he presents people sometimes disgusts me so I'm not Mm. a fan of him as a person but I can still take a step back and recognize his particular talent and at the same time think that the material should be available without being changed I don't think that it offends me when people say, okay, we'll just change all those words that are in these books. Well, no, 
because now you're erasing the way people used to be treated and you're erasing what was actually there. We should keep it there and then have a conversation about those words in the way it was at the time. And I don't accept that excuse as a blanket that that's just the way it was back then, because I don't see those phrases in Jane Austen books. And I'm pretty Hmm. sure there was racism back then. Yeah. Pretty sure there was sexism back then. Right. So it is possible to not do something like that. Yes. Good point. Yeah. So Susan, I'm asking you this first for a reason. Okay. (laughs) Is there a scenario where you think banning a book is the correct course of action? And if so, when? So I came into this conversation with that answer being a big fat no, never, not not okay, not ever. Um, And I came out of this book wanting to understand the word banning better and wondering if there were um, shades to it that are appropriate. Um, Certainly this one in particular is is, um, recommended for readers 13 to 18 years old. I would put that recommendation higher. And so it just, it brought me, I came away thinking banning is a bad word. I don't like the idea of banning, but um, age appropriateness and a process where we as a society agree on what might might or might not be good for children of a certain age to read. And not because of some of these ridiculous reasons that we're seeing a lot of these books banned, but for gosh, some kind of a litmus test to, to get to legitimate reasons why you wouldn't maybe want a, an eight-year-old or a 13-year-old to read certain material. And, and it should have the way we do the PG rating, I guess, you know, where there's criteria. This is why it's rated this way. There's some language or there's this. Um, and in this particular book, it ha- to me, it has a lot to do with sex and it isn't I'm not uncomfortable with it because it's sex I'm uncomfortable with a lot of the ways that sex is portrayed and safety for children is portrayed and I think if someone too young were to, to maybe this would be their first exposure to a sex scene it would be very I think possibly mm. life lifetime damaging to a child mm. to and I won't get to, I have specific examples. I won't get to them, but it made me think a lot about that. We could do some good in the world by, instead of having this conversation and banning is a bad word and it's either banned or it's not banned. If we started talking with level heads about age appropriateness and some standards that we could agree on. So I am a different person about it after this book than I was on the way in. What about you, Vogue? Uh, It definitely gave me pause because it's not just, you know, sex in the book. It's you get scenes of, of rape. You get scenes of, um, you know, crossing the boundaries of consent. Um, And it was hard. It was a hard read uh, because like personally, like I've got my own background and and some of those experiences I've, I've experienced. And so it was like, there were times where I had to stop for a little while and come back to it and just be like, are we going to do this? And it got, more graphic than, than maybe I felt was necessary. Um, and so it made me think about, you know, what I want my niece to read this because it's, you can have the, like you were saying, Susan, this big banning is bad and it's the banner, you know, it's, it's, it's the torch you carry. Uh, but I asked myself the personal question, what I want my 10 year old niece to read this. Uh, and the answer was no, but from the, the space of protection, like that, that I, I wouldn't want her to read it because I wouldn't want her to feel it and like emotionally connect to the characters and see them go through that and how young the characters were. Um, 
but I read a lot of books that were not age appropriate. Uh, if it was a book and it was in our house, if it was in my mom's house versus or my grandma's house or my cousin's house, you know, <laughs> like grabbing books and shoving them in my pockets and taking them home with me. And I'm, I'm a, I, w- I was an avid reader and became an av- avid reader because it provided me with a certain sense of freedom. And so I think in the spirit of that, I would, I would say, you know, you pop some warning signs on it for sure. Like, I think you, it, it's gotta come, I'm like already crying, but I think you gotta put a couple of warnings on that book um, in particular, in the book Out of Darkness in particular. So I think, no, don't ban the book outright, but I think acknowledge the power and the impact books have. And I think that's why we're in the midst of these conversations about, well, why do books get banned? And where does that come from? Which books are being banned by whom? And so I think that that a lot of that comes from the fact that books have power. So I'm not going to sit up here and act like, oh, it'd be fine. No, <laughs> I might need an extra therapy session. <laughs> I need to go yeah. talk to my therapist. So yeah, that was a very long answer. I'm sorry, Tanya. Oh, no, that was a wonderful answer. And please don't feel that you need to condense them. There's only three of us here today. So there's a little wiggle room. <laughs> So we're going to stick with you, Vogue, and I want to know, in your opinion, how does the concept of the slippery slope fit in with the desire to ban books? With recently that there, because the studies have shown that there's been an uptick of banning books that that clearly and historically depict racism, misogyny, um, you know, people in the LGBTQ community, that they're the idea of erasure. And so that's the big concern for me is if we if if we've got 10 books you know in the past five to seven years that just depict uh, a queer coming of age story and those are the books that are being banned because people don't want their children to be exposed to people who are who are in that community then I think we have a problem because it's denying someone's existence mm-hmm. and denying someone's story and denying people the ability to see themselves and a lot of times we have if we can have a bunch of books that that present, very heteronormative. If we've got, you know, Snow White wakes up from getting kissed by Rando. He is the Rando. <laughs> we met him <laughs> once in the streets and he was peeping over the side of the window, you know, like if the Rando can kiss her and wake her up, that technically there's no consent in that process. You right. know, there's just a lot of elements of that story that are not cool, bro, that we have to be mindful. And so I think that's like kind of the slippery slope of like how many things do we ban and, and, at a certain point, when does everything start looking and sounding the same? Um, do we not show children, you know, I had a hard time with even Romeo and Juliet, which I feel like out of darkness kind of echoes, uh, but instead of like the family dynamics, they're, they're versus racism and ignorance, <laughs> it's like family drama. So it was really hard that the ending of Romeo and Juliet, like they die, but it's like, well, every tragedy, we, we got death at the end of tragedy. We have marriage at the end of a comedy I don't I think it's more about education I think it all goes back to are we educating um, people about what are in these books you know reading living authors I think is always great because then you get a chance to interview the person talk with them about their intent as well Mm. what about you Susan slippery slope I'm going to say everything she said (laughs) <laughs> couldn't say it better Thanks. 
Do you have anything to add to it? No, really. She she answered that one. You can ask me another one, but that one, that one's that one's done. Well, you have both mentioned the the recent pattern there's been and the themes of books that are getting banned. So we'll start with Susan this time. What do you think this pattern says about where we are as a society? Um, I, going backward. And mm. um, there's a, I think it's all about power. It's not about the subject matters in these books. It's about power and control and probably some things I shouldn't say about the people who are in power and want to hold on to that power. And um, it's backward. It's we're going, we were, we were moving forward for a long time and we're not moving forward anymore. We're moving backward. So why do you think you shouldn't say them? Um, it was the part that I filtered where I talked about who, what kind of people have power and are, and are working so hard to hold on to it. And and, and they're white people. So that's, yeah, they're white people. That's who's holding on to power and trying to suppress everyone else. Right. So that's why I didn't say it. And Vogue. Um, so I've been digging through, like I was in the rabbit hole, Tanya, I got caught up <laughs> the differences around like a banned book versus a challenged book because right. a banned book right. is like, nobody can read it. The government puts their hand in it and is like, nah, you know, and if you're found with this, this propaganda or this, uh, this treasonous literature, you know, then you're in trouble. And I think in the United States, we're a little spoiled because it, it's not as intense as, as it has been in other countries. And so it's like, you can still get the book. You know, there's a couple where, yeah, you might end up on some FBI lists, but for the most part, like we are able to speak out against our government in a way that is that is a bit more free than other places. Um, and people can can publish the things they're publishing. You can self-publish. People are self-publishing out the wind to, today and, and on and forward. Um, but one of my friends, Tara, uh, she is a poet, Tara Manor, and she was uh, did a whole thing on banned books. And so she said that, she was looking up author and thought leader Tanisi Coates and you know his guesses around why you know four of the top 10 most banned books in America specifically involve critiques of anti-black racism and a part of you know his thoughts was just like that there was a rise of political attacks on free thought and education around racial justice matters and that maybe part of this reaction and influence is or part of these like negative reactions are in response to, you know, people basically haters, like upset <laughs> at seeing the success among black authors and journalists that because there's a movement towards diversifying the number of authors that we're seeing and from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different sexual orientations, that if, if you think of yourself, if you're Henry, they give you Henry from the book, right? You think of yourself as not just dominant, but like, that you're a leader, that you're in charge and that you are supposed to be seen and heard. And slowly but surely you see other people being at the same level as you. And then you feel like you're starting to disappear. And so I think the fear of becoming less than or feeling like you're decreasing is a, is also a scarcity mindset too. Like, oh, there's no, if if we make room for them or, oh, all of the, all of the new books getting published are by these people. And it's like, but you, just turn around, <laughs> right. look at your yeah. shelf and yeah. take stock of your shelf and what is in the canon and what is required reading. And then, then think about what does equity look like? And I think that because it's in a wave, as opposed to being sprinkled in, I think that's what's causing the panic from a lot of different, um, a lot of different people in the, in the community yeah. at large. Yeah. 
I have been down some of those same rabbit holes and seen a very similar thing. It's that, oh yeah, we absolutely support, you know, all of these different types of people having their voices heard. And then at a certain point, it's like, all right, that's enough. That's enough. We don't need quite so many of those voices or we we want to be supportive, but not to the point where we feel like we're not being heard anymore. And that's like, it's supposed to be room for everybody, not this instead of this, all of it, mm-hmm. all of the voices, regardless of their background, we need, we'd need bigger rooms, not like keeping people out, different people mm-hmm. out of the room. We just need bigger rooms. Yeah. But I think that's the thing, the, is like the, the offset is a result of that. So, you know, there are, there are contests now that are like, you know, we're giving preference to BIPOC writers or mm-hmm. we're giving preference to yep. uh, writers with the background, you know, that has, uh, you know, LGBTQ um, backgrounds. So when, if you're a person, you're like, oh, I can't apply for any of these contests. Oh, I'm being excluded from these things. And it's like, well, it's, it's to rectify a lack, but if you're not looking at it through that lens and you just see, well, I'm not allowed, then, right. then it becomes like, well, that's not fair. And it's like, it's cause it, none of it's fair. Right. None of it's fair. <laughs> like We're just trying. Well, to- I just yeah. want to say, so how, how does that feel? Right. So it's been that way for a lot of people for a long time. How does that feel to you? Thank you. But I'd also like to say we don't really need bigger rooms. The room is unlimited in size. We just need broader minds. Mm. There's plenty of readers that'll read anything, plenty of writers that'll write it all. Agent and agents and publishers are overwhelmed by so much choice. The room is huge. The room is unlimited. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Broader minds. I love that. So since you have the conch, <laughs> what would you say is the value in reading books that might be considered offensive by some, Susan? Because usually they're considered offensive by people who don't understand the subject matter or the people that they're reading about. And so familiarity is the, that's the first step is to get to know what kind of people those are, get to know what kind of story, you know, it's a queer love story. Okay, that's one label, but then you read the story and it's a beautiful romantic story and it's good and it makes you feel good. And then you realize, hey, these guys are just guys and they love each other. And then and then everybody's everybody is less fearful. And mm-hmm. so that's that's what we want to aim toward is everyone understanding everyone. And then you can still dislike people if you want to, but you're gonna dislike them knowing something about them, not just based on very superficial labels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, folks? Okay, ask the question again because I had like 85 thoughts just now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> What's the value in reading books that might be considered offensive by some? Oh, I mean, it it opens your your mind and opens opens yourself up to finding a different space of understanding. Um, and it helps you become more creative. Like, I don't know if I want to read out of darkness again. But from a craft perspective, like I keep going back and looking at, you know, what was done and how this is like a good component. The gang is like a Greek chorus. Um, How do you reimagine a classic? And that I think, you know, if you pull, if you move, if you move the racism and the violence a little to the left, (laughs) you focus in on some of the characters um, motivation, you know, it's a plea for writing your story. It's a conversation about what makes a person valuable because you know, Betha was really, really smart and they expected him 
go into like technical things and he just really wanted to be a writer and like ends up writing the story and so it's like it's it's a very quiet or loud depending on what kind of reader you are plea for like write your stories tell your stories kind of thing uh and that if you're the one who lived <laughs> you know then you're the one who remains to to tell the story and so that that component and you know that wash was good with his hands but also his family wanted him to go on to school and do something else with his life because also being a black person who was allowed to you're allowed to get a certain amount of education go get it and do that but he really wanted to work with his hands and he was good at working with his hands and it showed up over and over like you're fishing you're building coffins you're doing all of this this work with your hands uh while still having a very brilliant mind still being good at math as well so it just yeah it's it's a little portable adventure <laughs> and it opens <laughs> up your mind and I think um which book was it like I know by the cage bird sings was was a band book at a certain point 1984 was a band book at a certain point and I think about those two books so fondly they are places that I have been and like worlds that I have lived in and and songs that I have sung and just to imagine you know those things being taken away from me uh, just because oh it was a banned book based on somebody else's criteria uh is is difficult like that's a painful world to imagine I don't want to I don't want to go there I don't want to live there I like it here so far I like the layer that you mentioned in this book that you know there there is the racial aspect and hey you are blessed with this opportunity to go on and get a greater education but with that is the burden of you must do this for your race and no longer follow your heart. Right. So at what expense mm -hmm. do, does this opportunity come with? You know, it's like it is a blessing. It is a fantastic opportunity that so many before you did not get to follow. But what if that's not what feeds your soul? Yeah. How and is it a waste? You know, right. like yeah. that's, that's the thing people say. They said it about Wash and they said it about Beto. Like, are you wasting your, and I've had people say it to me like, oh, but, and there are people I love, like, you know, friends, moms, like, oh, you're so smart. And you want to be, you just want to be a teacher. Like that just <laughs> was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, cut me. I guess that's not one of the most important jobs in the entire world. Right. It is. But yeah. poorly but that's spent money. Yeah, so but that means that it's undervalued. It doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Sorry, you're, you're getting me riled up on that mm -hmm. one. <laughs> yeah. Let me yeah. speak. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as the resident author, although Susan, you're an author too, you just don't give yourself enough credit. Hmm. What effort should an author's intentionality versus the reader's interpretation have when discussing book bans? Oh, I'm all, oh, look, now I gotta go. <clears throat> <laughs> Taking off the earrings. I know, I was like, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. so I took a class in undergrad. I used to sneak into like the, the like four and 500 level classes. <laughs> so I was nice. in somebody's master's class, but we got this book and it was like, you know, the eight different ways you can read a book. And so it was like reader response, um, reading through a feminist lens uh you know you keep the author in mind you throw the author out the window like there's eight, 85 really at this point ways of reading a book and analyzing the text and so 
I'm sure Tanya has probably happened to you and Susan probably you too, even with technical writing, where you write something and you meant this and then they did that. <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> put the thing on top of, and they're like, well, on top of what? On top of the thing, which thing? So I think that, I think there is a level of responsibility as a writer to pay attention to what you're putting out into the world, um, how it can impact others. I think, you know, especially with, with something that's being read because a person can come back to it and, and read it again and again and again, that it doesn't, it doesn't take anything away if you have a note that gives people a little bit of context for what you're writing. Um, but I also come from like a, a spoken word background as well. And so if you're going on stage and you explain your poem before you read it, somebody, quite possibly me, is going to be like, read the poem. Like, right. I don't, <laughs> I don't it, yeah. uh, just give us the art. Don't explain it. <laughs> right. If you got to explain it, there was a poet, uh, and I don't know if he still subscribes to this, but back in the day, Rudy Francisco would say like, if your poem needs explaining, then it's not done. Yeah. So like, if, if your intention is not built in, baked into this good, <laughs> then, then it's not, you know, underproved. <laughs> it's not done yet. So I, I think once any kind of artwork is out into the world, then it is, it is now everybody's business. Everybody has a certain amount of responsibility for interpreting it, understanding it, having conversations about it, and knowing that, you know, if we were all the same, if we all got the same thing from it, there might be similar themes, but everybody's going to pull something different. And that's the point. So yeah, I think it's the collective responsibility. And now I'm really curious your thoughts on this, Susan, especially given your render experience. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts about intentionality versus reaction? Well, my response to someone telling me that they believe my something I was writing would be hurtful to people of color was that I put it in a drawer. Mm. I didn't mean to be, and I couldn't figure out how to I was surprised at the interpretation, um, but there was no way I was going to stand on it and say, well, that's not what I meant. So forget it. I'm doing it anyway. I, I stopped and I'd like to go back and I'd like to find a way to root that out. Um, but if someone thought it was there and this is long before it was ever published, I thought it deserved my attention. Mm. And it's like people hit you hit people with your car you never mean, I don't, very few people mean to hit someone with their car. It's never your intention to run over someone with your car, but they're just as dead if you do it, whether you meant to or not. And so I think I put a lot of that responsibility on the author. If you mm. have the opportunity to realize you're going to cause harm, especially before you've actually put, put it out there in the world, I think it's your responsibility to, to at least examine it again, drive mm -hmm. more carefully. That's how I feel about that. I'm curious about the people who told you that it would be harmful to people of color. Were any of them people of color? No, but there were people that I would, the only person of color that got involved in the conversation was you and you were all for my book and you also didn't see it. And neither one of us saw it. The thing was, when, she was a very respected person who brought it to my attention. And when she said it, I saw it. And I, if I hadn't seen it, maybe I would have defended it. But when she said it, I saw it. So Hmm. I just think that there's a danger in allowing well-meaning white saviors to <laughs> cultivate what other people are allowed to write on behalf of a group that isn't theirs. Right. Hmm. Well, keep and in mind you, also, that was the first novel. It wasn't very good. good. It was very good. Thank you. And it hmm. wasn't what she said it was. Right. But if it was going to be, so the, the thing she said that were profound is that people of 
black people are going to have to defend this for you like you were doing at that table that day and she said you don't want to put they got enough on their plate you don't want to put something out there that black people have to defend you for mm. and, and i that was didn't have to i chose to you did not ask me to it was not my right. job i, I think i can do better yeah. i can do better i can you find can a way to better there are no finished novels until it's in print of course you can yeah. do better like we revise and revise and revise yeah but that wasn't a problem in my opinion and i do mm -hmm. think that you should consider bringing it back into the world because your source of information was someone who wasn't actually going to be affected by it so i, I want to add true. into this and you know i i haven't read your book so i don't know for sure but <laughs> you know i have um you know a friend who uh, is persian and indian and you know, part of her work in being an ally is like there will be times where people will say something inappropriate or people will use certain language that is like very clearly like dog whistles um, or she'll have, you know, people around her who will just like use the N word really freely. And she'll she'll say that word makes me uncomfortable mm -hmm. and it can be a room where nobody in the room is black. And she'll still say that that what you said or how you said that or what you're referencing makes me uncomfortable because it's her speaking up. And so on one hand, it's like, yeah, be be that kind of a citizen to where yes. regardless of who else is in the room, you're going to speak up and say, hey, you know, there might be an issue with that. That might, it sounds a little problematic. You know, it's giving a tick. So I think good on the people who did speak up and, and said that. And on the other side of it, you know, I don't think you, I'm glad you put it in a drawer and didn't throw it away. <laughs> like, you know, unsh unshelve it and take it to a couple more people from that culture and ask them directly. But one person isn't the entire representative. So like, you know, Tanya might be like, it's cool. And I might be like, oh, girl, no. Uh, and so <laughs> yeah. I think you got to decide. But, you know, if if we're, there's a writer we have that's, that wrote a book about teenage mothers and she's coming to the book festival and, you know, her characters are black. And so it's like, do in writing this book, have you perpetuated the stereotype of, you know, young black women being, you know, getting pregnant, you know, extra early in the game? Here's the single mom. Here's the baby mama. And is you putting that out there, perpetuating it? Or is it that there's nuance in the book that is about it's about friendship? And also the fact of the matter is there are some young black women who get pregnant early in the game. So it's just facts. Um your lines between art imitating life. Are you writing full characters? And and the last example I'll give is I have a friend who wrote a book and it was all about Vegas and kind of real estate and stuff like that. But there were, you know, so there, it was very male dominated because of the timeline and who was doing business. The women in the book though, another person read it and gave my friend feedback that none of the women had last names. So all of the men had lineage, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And oh yeah. He ended and it wasn't on purpose. He didn't even see it. But he was like, Oh, I didn't even notice that. He was like, you know, her name's you know, Mary. And it's like, yeah. Does Mary have a last name? Right. right. Because yeah. she's just an extra in your book. Right. <laughs> so that's yeah. right, full-fledged, living, breathing, representative characters. Have you have you mapped them out? I mean, you know, you you're a technical writer, but you know, so like did you map them out and go, This person loves this is their favorite color. They like, you know, blue slushies. Uh, they have three cousins, the favorite flowers, whatever, you know, are they yeah. a full fleshed out? Not that that's small, that makes people human, but like, are they fleshed <laughs> out? Did you think about them? 
Do you walk down the street and talk to this character in your head? Are they real? And I think if we don't do that, if we don't love on our characters, like we love on our people, that's, that's the danger. And so, yeah, I think when you go back and reread your book and you take it to people who are from that background, just to get some more feedback (laughs) and also to ask yourself, did I write a complex character? Did I write a human? And did I give them, like, I'm irritated with uh, Out of Darkness that Henry is like a person because I really don't like Henry. <laughs> like Henry is right. like yeah. a horrifying human being, but she inserted how he felt and why he felt the way that he felt and, and what his dreams were. And it was like, yeah. well, I understand his motivation and I would not be upset if he fell down a well and we just, we just went missing forever. Yeah. I wouldn't. And slowly starve to death. I wouldn't yeah. mind. It'd be fine yeah. with me. Yeah. Yeah. So favorite. I didn't mean to make that a, an attack on you, Susan. I, th- oh, I know. think that book is worth you looking into again. Do I think it's ready for publication? Probably not. We revise yeah. like crazy. But your motivations, I believe we're in a good place. And I hope that yeah. conversation motivates you to work on it again and bring more voices into the conversation. Don't let one person stifle your dream. And I, I didn't have the, the change I need to make was very systemic and I didn't have the skill to mm. make it. I believe I've developed those skills in these intervening few years. And, and I do think a lot about picking it, but it's, I need to make some systemic changes mm-hmm. to it. I, it's not you are a much better people. writer than you were when you wrote that first yeah. book. Because and, I, and I've torn my books apart so much. Yeah. I know how to tear a book apart and put it back together differently Ooh. now. I've done that a few times. So yeah. That sounds traumatizing. <laughs> it it, it, it kind of is. Yeah. But yeah, I will. I will. So speaking of picking apart books, let's focus on today's banned book. Set in 1930s New London, Texas, Out of Darkness chronicles a love affair between a teenage Mexican-American girl and a teenage African-American boy. Named to best of year lists by Kirkus Reviews and School Library Journal, it ranks ninth on the American Library Association's list of top 13 most challenged books of 2022. Vogue, before I asked you to participate in the series, were you familiar with the book? No, hadn't even heard of it. Hadn't even caught any whiff of the drama either. (laughs) How about you, Susan? Were you familiar with it? Not at all. And before reading the book, what were the elements that maybe caught your attention? We'll stick with Susan there. Um, I like history. And I especially like, um, in recent years, I've learned a lot of things about the history of America that I was never taught in school. And so I, I like these things that I've been learning about. So I expected to learn more about that, um, the school explosion and the mm-hmm. aftermath of that. Um, and I did, and the rest of it was a, an unhappy surprise that the book was about, about so many other things that were a combination of, a combination of many difficulties. Mm-hmm. But what drew me to it was the, the history. Mm-hmm. What about you, Vogue? You know, I was going for soft. I was like, it's a romance. And I do not read romance novels, you know, like I got about maybe like six love poems, like under my sleeve, you know, and I was like, let's do something soft, you know? And it's like, I love the braid on the cover. It's like, oh, it's a little black boy. Yay. (laughs) It does very much look like a romantic story. I was right. Look, look, they tell you don't judge a book by its cover. Um, And we did. And. But the blurb said love story. And I just thought I was going to get love. And that was not what I got. (laughs) 
So a question that I've been asking all of my guests this week is what, now that you've read the particular book that we're covering, what made you think it was polarizing to the point of being banned? Susan, after reading this, you wrote me a lengthy email detailing your response to the book. And you mentioned that there are important points being made about rape, incest, racism, and systemic racism. This author could have made those points accessible to more youngsters if she'd lightened up on literally any of it. <laughs> and then you went on to say that you would never argue to the idea of banned books, but you think that this one at least warrants a warning, which you mentioned earlier today. At, not about it being sexually explicit, but because it was heart-wrenchingly awful depictions of sexuality and humanity. Say more about that. Because the, the first sex scene in this book I mean, you can cut this if you, I shouldn't say it, um, is a middle-aged man masturbating in the bathroom while his eight-year-old stepdaughter is naked in the tub. That's not sex. And it certainly isn't a, a scene, an image of sex that a younger child needs to have implanted in their memory at such a tender age. What if it's their first, but I kept thinking, I remember my first sex scene, it was the Godfather and it was pretty raunchy, but it was raunchy in a fun, healthy, Ooh, I think I'm going to like this someday kind of way. And that's <laughs> not, a child's not going to come away from this thinking, oh, that's something I look forward to. And then if something bad in all the, all the other scenes that are so rapey, even when there's not an actual rape, there's discussion of rape and threats of rape. And it's just so tense. And I fear that young girls who read this at an impressionable age and then experience those things will think they're normalized because what well, that's what happened in that book. You know, this is what mm -hmm. happens. And mm -hmm. that's, that's where I am on that. Mm. What are your thoughts on the reasons it was banned, Vogue? And, you know, and actually the, I'm just going to add to the scene, but in that scene that you're talking about, Susan, um, he has, um, Henry has Naomi essentially give him a hand job and is like, oh, you do it the same way you turn butter. And so just that, right, right. I can't unhear it. I like, as I was going through it, I was like, Tanya, WTF. <laughs> Girl, I can't unhear it. I had a moment at that line. Too. It was like, what? And I was like, that, like, is, that is accurate. <laughs> and I need a break. And we're, you know, we're not far enough into this long ass book uh, for me to already need a break. So I think the sexual violence um, depicted, uh, you know, that a child commits murder, you know, at the end of it, self-defense really, um, if you do the math, um, that there is, but then I also think about the gang, which is because each chapter is from a particular character's point of view. And so the gang, it's almost like, and I think she's aiming, I think the author was aiming for groupthink in this idea that this is what they're all thinking. And I think that was kind of dangerous to say that, okay, well, this entire group of boys all think the exact same way. Yes. They're all just trying to rape this girl. They're all imagining and there's a line, and I saved it because it it hurt my feelings as well. Uh, but it was, you know, could Mexicans blush? I think was like the end mm. of that chapter. Yeah, well, we've heard that, haven't we? And I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think those two things alone. But then I think the clarity of how violent 
mobs were and the clarity about lynchings. So there's a section in it. I think, yeah, it's a chapter that's the gang's chapter. And they're talking about as they're going up to Wash's house um, and they're have an intention to really kill them, to lynch, to lynch him and his father. But they're talking about, oh, you know, we'd all seen the postcards and the that the lynching postcards were real. So yeah. I sat in an African studies class in college and I didn't learn about to college. Mind you, my grandma was born in 1921. So she probably knew, but she just, she didn't slide mm-hmm. me in that information, which is fine. <laughs> but I learned about it as an adult that there were postcards of lynchings that looked like backyard parties, that there would be a body hanging from a tree, burned to a crisp and a child with a fucking popsicle in her hand, smiling with her little Shirley Temple curls and the grown adult men kind of around the area. And it's like a frolic, frolicking session and that that's a depiction that went through our post office <laughs> right so i think america no one was I think, protecting the children from that image like that was not a thing that they thought you know maybe maybe kids don't need to think that this is normal that murder is normal you know like it's it's a party mm-hmm. and that the united states post office you know they're pretty like they try to keep their integrity pretty high and so that this was like a thing that they were fine circulating um so I think there are places where it's depictions of racism and the violence that ensued uh, in our country post, you know, pre and post Civil War are things that I think our country doesn't like to talk about. It's, you know, we put it in the back pocket, like, well, you know, we ended slavery and then you know, Emancipation Proclamation and everything was all good. And it's like, yeah. oh, there's so much history in between. There's yeah. so much, so many nuances to the ways in which this the way of thinking and the fact that it was legitimized by law that this this kind of treatment was illegal that paints our country in a different kind of light that that is indifferent that is cruel um and it also gives space to say well maybe we might owe some people some reparations uh maybe uh you know affirmative action might be a thing I actually need to do just based on the long-term generational impact of this. Maybe we might have to admit that there are elements of our culture that are still systemically harmful. And I think that, you know, once the knowledge of that is out and into the world and really clear, there's clear evidence of it, uh, then there's no denying the truth. And so I think those are the reasons, but what the people said I was like, Tanya, I don't know if you want to tell Susan about the YouTube video, the woman, uh, I forgot what city or state she was in, but like she was screaming about something else. Uh, but all the rest of these reasons are reasons why I could see the book being banned. <laughs> so now, Susan, we reach confession time, which is I didn't finish today's book. I didn't finish reading it. And in part of the ideas that you mentioned. So I'm the host of the series that covers seven different books and I have, you know, I'm reading each one we cover. So between All Boys Aren't Blue and 19 Minutes and The Hate You Give and The Kite Runner, my head and heart were already overflowing with traumatic material before I started this, this book that looks like it's going to be a romance between people from two different cultures. Like it just, it, it was weighing on me. And so I feel an obligation to read any book I assign to my guests, but I also have a responsibility to take care of my mental and emotional Hmm. health, you know, 
all I, week I have I've been discussing the right to read and throughout this series, I've been discussing the right to read. And, but along with that comes with the right to stop reading books that aren't for us. And I, I did try to finish before today's conversation. I tried to cram it all in. And I think you both know I'm in the middle of crowdfunding for my first short film, which is a job in itself. In addition to just the behind the scenes productions of it, the first week we raised 33% of our goal, Yay! but because of trying to read this and cramming all of this in my brain and preparing for Banned Books Week, I completely neglected week two of the campaign and we have not budged a nickel. So trust mm. me when I tell you I took this seriously. No. I tried, but the excess of negative content was it was actually giving me nightmares. So thank you. Goodness, you're a grown up woman that was able to recognize that and know when to stop. That's what scares me about this book is mm. younger people that wouldn't even realize how much it was hurting them or realize that it wasn't normal and wouldn't stop reading. That's why it should be. This is an adult book. This is not a YA book. Mm. Shouldn't be banned, but it shouldn't be on school shelves. So I, I yeah. will finish the book, just not at a speed that threatens my well-being. Like I've given myself permission to pause and I I usually read multiple books at a time. So I usually have a fluffier book that is at night because that's going to be the thing that I go to sleep with in my brain. You know, I'll have something that is for research and something maybe more literary, but having so much negative content in one, you know, in just a few weeks time, I was overloaded with it. It was just too much. And I didn't know this book was going to be what it was because I, right. I didn't read any spoilers about it. I didn't go into it. It's like, and this can be the last one. And, you know, nah. it looks all sweet. They're both smiling on it. And at a certain point, it's like, this is just inviting ugliness into my soul. And I yeah. don't have the resources to combat it because I have not healed from the other traumatic books yet. But I will finish it. I'm definitely going to finish it. I would not ask my guests to read a book that I would not make myself finish. And, and I say that with one exception, if it was just, you know, animal slaughter all the way through, I don't think I could do it. I don't I know I don't, how you are about that yet. Right. <laughs> I want to know how far you got, Tanya. Where'd you get to? What's I... the last fucked up thing you remember? <laughs> <laughs> So there's a lot of foreshadowing in this book. And the last thing I got to was Henry eyeing Naomi in the dress that was her mother's. Mm. And so yeah, the bad thing that I suspect hasn't happened yet, but it's there. They, I mean, I usually pick out these things when I read books. You <laughs> see, they've laid the groundwork. And I will be absolutely shocked if he does not rape her at some point, like act like full force, not just the child rape that she's already gone through and all of the child molestation. They they keep mentioning how she's becoming a woman and he's seeing that she is an actual adult now and mm -hmm. the way her hair is the same. And, and you can go ahead and spoil it because we're on this conversation. I was going to say, yeah, let me just save you. Don't finish it, girl. I got you. Look, <laughs> I forgive you. Don't finish so, it. Yeah. He decides basically because and the the Christianity. So the pastor suggests that he needs to marry Naomi. So it's not. It's so he your boy buys her a sewing machine, hides it over at Muff's house, 
She gets it. They're sewing for class or whatever. And this man for class for class. Yeah, she well, she needs to sew it. So a dress. <laughs> There's it's like a whole. Yeah, but class. what you're saying is he, he's still a child. Mary, mm-hmm. a high schooler. Mary the baby. Who is so, his stepdaughter? Yes. And everybody in the neighborhood, the pastor's wife is like, it'll be fine. And, you know, it makes sense. Everybody will get over it. He's not your father by blood. It'll be good. And she has so many chores. She's always working. And that hurt my heart because I was like, you're, you're a child too, but you're raising your siblings. He does Mm -hmm. nothing. Your boy woke her up in the middle of the night, threw water on her and was like breakfast. She's a child. And you're already treating her like a, a household maid, not a wife, but a household maid and not but with no kindness and no love. Um, yeah, the there was a conversation about how to how the school needed to be heated. And they did the the school board, one of the guys decided to use the the natural gas to um heat the school. And this is the time frame, the facts, you know, the historical part of it is right. gas didn't used to have a smell. Gas has a smell now right. because of that explosion. Yep. Yeah, but I did, did. I did delve into research about this particular explosion. Yeah, and it's like, oh man. <laughs> uh, so the explosion happens, and like, it's the combination of Gotti wants to learn more about her mom because the mom died already. The mom died giving birth. There's so much trauma, right? So let me just, yeah. And well, then yeah, at the here's end, the thing. I finished reading 19 minutes, and the first chapter in this book that looks like it's going to be all love filled is oh. children's body parts in rubble like oh okay all right yeah (laughs) let me adjust my mindset for this book (laughs) how do we get to the love part we don't (laughs) we do and we don't he lets wash learn spanish uh and that was really thoughtful and, and beautiful that he's like you know learning spanish but yeah by the end of it we have uh a lynching that isn't you know that nobody dies but they they pull the rope they burn the house they beat them you know really badly we get to we get back to the tree in the river which was the sacred safe space that's where she's raped mm. um and then he hand they he had gone through multiple times trying to teach beto trying to teach yeah trying to teach beto how to shoot and so he hands the shotgun to beto and is like shoot wash like it's and he Beto refuses. So then Henry shoots Naomi after raping her. So then at a certain point, he's screaming, Henry's screaming at Beto. And he's like, just pull the trigger. It's very simple. Da, da, da. So Beto turns and it's a rifle. Beto is like, what, like six, eight, seven? I forgot how old Beto is, but the twins were young. Oh, well, a little older, I think, but yeah. Yeah. I think like eight or nine. Right. Turns his body and shoots his own father through the head. Well, that would be worth sitting so, through that part. <laughs> we're all dead at the river, uh, except for Beto. And we hop in the car with Wash's parents. And then Beto goes back to live with, with Abuela and Abuelo. And he uh, takes the cat. He takes the cat. And, so, and that's the, the, the one highlight. Edgar. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> yes. I've been one highlight. That since it arrived. Like, this guy is horrible. He already mentioned that if anyone teaches the boy housework, he'll drown the cat. Like, what? He threatens that cat's life over and over, which is how he got him to, you know, he made he made Beto throw the rock through the, um, Wash's family's house. I was like, if you don't throw the rock, you know, during the, the lynching scene, then I'll drown that damn cat. 
But going back for the cat is also what fucked them over. Like they went back to get the cat. She's like, well, he's lost so much. Well, we're going to lose our other. Oh, and Kari died in the damn explosion. Yeah, I figured that part. After getting yelled at about trying to do a seance to bring their mom back. And she was wearing her mom's shoes and they found her mom's braid. So it's so, I don't know if you ever read Push by Sapphire, but they made the movie uh, Precious. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, you put this one character and you found every terrible thing that can happen to someone in her life, in, in that lifespan. And you gave them every single bad thing. So it's your father died in the river. Your mother died giving birth to your brother. You uh get, get molested and then molested. raped by your father-in-law. Uh, you fall in love with a guy, but he's black and y'all can't be seen in the streets together. Uh, you go to this new school where everyone hates you and thinks you're stupid. Um, and fast. And fast. Uh, then your siblings, you love them and you care for them, but they are also, you know, kind of the reason why you don't have your mother. But so you have to wrestle with the loving them and feeling that they they were a trade. And then, you know, you killed <laughs> at the river that was your safe space. Yeah, and I think it's too much. I think I I appreciate Ashley Perez's like capacity to to do research and to you know make me feel and care about these characters and the craft this thing that is you see all the foreshadowing like everything you see everything coming, but I think there's enough tragedy. I think she probably could have found a real story that was terrible enough but this one was actually it it was too much like i i wouldn't recommend you finish tanya read a spark notes read a summary but to finish it it was really really painful too too many and i I shouldn't say it but too many themes like she never let us really latch on to something and, and how, and she, in interviews, she talks about how she wants to give people hope. And I, I, she didn't let me, she was relentless and not allowing me to ever hope for a good mm-hmm. outcome. She never allowed a good outcome. And she didn't even let me pick one thing to be unhappy about and, and hope for the best for that one thing. It was just, it was everything in the, every dirty dish in the kitchen sink, shattered mm-hmm. ceramic everywhere. And yeah, it was, it's too much. But you know what it reminded me of is that their musings about we're going to run away to Mexico uh, echoed of mice and men. Mm -hmm. And it was like, we're going to go, we're going to live in this place. We're going to plant these flowers. I can't even remember it anymore because I read of mice and men probably too young uh, (laughs) because I read everything. But I just remember all the things that they wanted to do and how really, you know, it was sounder, but with people. <laughs> and he, you know, that George had to kill his own brother or vice versa. I can't remember characters' names. And that was too much too. It was like, you already have a disability. You know, you're already poor. We're in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. And then now you've got to kill your brother. And so I guess the question around it is like, you know, what makes us write these stories? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know what Steinbeck wanted us to, <laughs> to take from that. And I think Ashley Hope Perez just wanted to show she fixated on the explosion, saw that there was a Mexican-American person who did die in a child who did die in that explosion. And she was like, well, what the heck was she doing in East Texas? And then imagined 
And so in that way, it's like, well, then I see myself in in like Ashley Perez and like as a people watcher, you imagine what people are doing and like why. A story prompt and you just create this whole situation around wow. one theme. It was hard. Could have been one theme. One theme would have been digestible. It would have still been terrible, but you would have gotten through it for the reason and you would have been rooting for the outcome. And even if it was a bad outcome, but it was more than, I'm a 65 year old woman. I couldn't handle that many bad themes. I can't imagine what a 13 year old would would do with all that. Well, I, I appreciate it, your graciousness and forgiving me for not finishing the book. <laughs> we recommend you don't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, if it hadn't been for just so many at once, I would have had the emotional bandwidth to deal with this, but I just I'm didn't. I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure. I didn't. And I wasn't reading all those other ones right at the same time. So it was hard no. by itself. Yeah. Mm -mm. That that scene, and I didn't even give you all of the nuance mm -hmm. of, of the closing scene with Henry, but it's just like, it's, you get a, a sliver of hope and then, oh no, we're going to go back for the cat. And then you, you read how his anger combusts and, you know, pistol whipping people my thing was just if Bethel could have escaped without having killed his own father, then at least someone would have been less traumatized all the way destroyed because he was mm -hmm. already, you've witnessed, you've lost your twin, you know, you've witnessed your other sister being you raped. You blame yourself for your twin's death because you were the one who read in the damn encyclopedia what the hell a seance was. Mm. Right. So you blame yourself for the death of all the kids in the school and your sister. That's a lot of weight. And, yeah. and your mom, because now your big sister has sold you. You watch your sister get raped. Your friend who's taught you how to fish and has been like like your bestie, your grown-up bestie, right. you know, uh, like your big brother. You watch him be beaten, his family, his home burned to a crisp, a, a house that served you sweets and you hurt that to hear the piano get played. And then and last but not least, to participate in it. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, you have to shoot your own father. And it doesn't even save your sister and, and your play brother. It doesn't even save them. So you have this cat. The cat's a braid. You know, you have nothing left. And I'll quote myself, she could have done better by lightening up on literally any of it. Any of it. So don't ban it, but we don't recommend it. Hey, that's fair. I would, if, if someone, whatever the word is for don't put it on a middle school shelf, I would, I would want that. Mm. I think it needs a big old, you know, the, the spine, like they used to be color coded spines. I haven't been in a kid's library in a while, but it needs like a really a warning label yeah content warning a major okay. spine thing across it and then I think you know you tell you make sure if the kid wants to check the book out you tell the parents like this is the book that your kid is reading like I think it should send an automated email to the parent to be like your kid's reading this I like uh, that I it's a, you know a, a violation of privacy for kids and there's so much you know that kids get it depends on what kind of parent they have but I think for this, yeah, maybe. I think probably that is a violation. And I think anything we do while that book's on the shelf isn't the right thing. Because I know if there was a label that said, you know, 
you probably shouldn't read this. My kids would have read it that much faster. So it needed to just not be there on the shelf. In my mm. opinion, that one just doesn't need to be there on that shelf. But they could so go to like- What age group would you recommend? The Susan? Flamingo Library. You know, they could go to the community library and get it though, Susan. And that's okay. It should be at adult libraries and maybe they would get a hold of it that way any, but having it right there at the school puts a bit of a seal of approval on it, doesn't hmm. it? A little bit of a, we, we want you to read this. This is okay to read. This is safe for you to read. And that one- for, it's not unsafe for anyone to read, but it is unsafe for middle schoolers and, and elementary schoolers to read. Hmm. So what age group would you recommend or what grade level would you recommend? I don't know how it works. I think if it's at the high school library, it's there and you can't keep like the freshmen and sophomores. If I had my choice, I think 16, but that's halfway through high school and I don't think it works yeah. that way. So I would say just at least not in middle school, but in high school only. And probably really it's a university level book or if it were actually in the curriculum so that there would be discussion as you went through each thing that would be a lot safer but so have it on the curriculum but not just on the bookshelf to be randomly read in in pained silence the publisher recommends ages 13 to 18 for this book which ends up being grades 8 through 12 which is middle school which is that's the part i object to what age group would you recommend vogue oh god It's tough, isn't it? And then it brings the question, who gets to decide what's appropriate for other people's kids, right? Yeah, I think it's okay where it's at. I think, you know, as far as like readability, right? If we're talking the readability scale, it's readable. Like 13, a 13 year old could read it. Um, yeah, if I could pick their parents. Right. Recommend <laughs> for people whose parents will talk to them about this. They're like, do you have, you know, your literary auntie? Like, I think that's my recommendation. But I think <laughs> you are the literary auntie. I, too. Yeah, they have me, you know, like, sure. Uh, so here's the other thing, because I watched an interview with a Ashley Hope Perez, because I was just like, girl, why? And in the interview, she said, you know, there are books with more, you know, more violence or more sex, because the thing that people were complaining about was th the section where the gang was talking about wanting to, like, put their penises in Naomi's butt. And she was like, kids participating in sex like that was her complaint and I was like girl there are so many worse things in the book yeah. besides imagining having sex <laughs> with there's the worst things that actually happen but you mad about this reference okay sis can you I break that down for you yeah you like me to break that down for you because and I was I had to check myself because I was offended because it was the white kids mm -hmm. that had all those evil thoughts and mm -hmm. in my opinion whatever they're saying is the reason for banning and the things we've discussed I believe it is being banned because of the biracial relationship mm -hmm. and because it does cast white people in a very I, there's not a decent white person in that book and that's I think what they object to that they were imagining imagining isn't bad but all the it was all the white boys imagining and the white girls were all mean girls and that's what I think the response is to in of the people of the conservative white Christians that are behind this banning so did even Tommy and Muff end up being bad people okay they just you know they were recommending marriage god bless them <laughs> was painful she had one friend and I can't remember her name because she was not around enough um you know Naomi yeah. didn't really talk to that many people either you know she already yeah. felt alone so I want to address a little bit of what you're both saying and in particular what the author has said because in response to the upsurge in book bans 
She spoke with NPR and with the Columbus Dispatch. And in the interview, she said that Out of Darkness was uncontroversial for six years. Yeah. And then fast forward to 2021 and the political and social climate around the U.S. changed. And so she said that these books do not reflect spontaneous parental concern. Instead, they are part of an orchestrated effort to signal opposition to certain identities and topics. Book banners often cite sexually explicit content as their reason for objecting to books in high schools. What distinguishes the targeted titles though is not their sexual content, but that they overwhelmingly center the experiences of BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and other marginalized people. If you were to stack up all the books with sexual content in any library, the tallest stack by far would be about white straight characters, and these books are not under attack. So claims about sexual content are just a pretext for erasing the stories that tell Black, Latinx, queer, and other non-dominant kids that they matter or belong. And beyond telegraphing disapproval, book bans serve the interests of the groups that have long sought to dismantle public education and shut down conversations about important issues. But book banning harms students and their education the most. Young people rely on school libraries for accurate information. Those who share identities with targeted authors or characters receive a powerful message of exclusion. These books don't belong and neither do you. The needs of all students matter, not just those whose lives and identities line up with what book banners think is acceptable. What do you think about those statements, Susan? I'm in complete agreement that it, that it's all of a sudden, I have reasons why I wouldn't want my kids to read it, but that I, I don't think my ideas have anything to do with why that book is banned and why so many books are being banned. It's it's mm. about the critical race theory objectionism or whatever, which isn't even real, but the, this imagined critical race theory objectionism is, is at the mm. center of all of it, as far as I can see. I think she's right about that. Mm. And the author also pointed out that uh, she was like, there's a book that's on every shelf, you know, that, that they're not banning from school libraries and it's the Bible. And I was like, yeah. oh no, not the facts. Cause there is rape <laughs> in yeah, the Bible. All there. of it. But actually in some places when they put these, these laws that just are, you know, anything with any of this is removed. The Bible has been removed and really? we're back to that slippery slope. And really? I think it's important to recognize okay. that I'm a Christian, but I don't think that any book should be banned but I'm a real Christian, the kind that thinks that you're supposed to take care of God's people, not you're supposed to target them and try and force them all to be exactly like you. That That's not what Jesus said. Right. And the other thing that's interesting, too, about the book banning thing is like, as soon as you say it's banned, you know, like you were talking about your kids, like if they saw, oh, don't read this book, you know, they snatch it up immediately. Give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> that Ashley Hope put as like, again, the book, nobody, not nobody, but six years ago the book was living its life you know whatever when shows, words, it was being doing, applauded yeah just living its life and then boom six years later now everybody's talking about it and it, it's getting banned but i'm sure book sales have shot up that that more and more people are reading it as a result of it like susan and i would not have read this book okay right, <laughs> right. Susan and I would have been in That's our respective zones right there. so yep 
I think even for the people who want books banned or want things to be, you know, to give things less attention because they're trying to quiet a uh, certain discourse, they should probably rethink their tactics because this this yeah. is not successful. It's not doing you any good. Like the best thing you could do is just hush and like not talk about it. But as soon as they br- pull it out, this thing is the devil. You know, it's like, right. well, now I want to read it. They yeah. tried to, I think right. there was a time frame where people wanted to ban Harry Potter because of, you know, the, the nature yeah, of the spells in the book. last year because there's magic and that's evil. <laughs> so here we are. So it's not successful. So it's like, you know, you can keep making these attempts, but those attempts to, to block something oftentimes fuels people's interest. Yes. Um, better to have either to hush. And if you don't like it, then don't read it. Uh, or have a full-fledged conversation about the why and, and you know, open up to and try to realize it, it's more than just violence and sex because there's violence and sex in so much. And I've yeah. seen many a person, you know, bringing their kids to rated R movies. So right, interrogate the why. Uh, and I think that, you know, we'll interrogate see. Interrogate the why. If there's anything that this show is about, it's that. Yes. Yeah. So Susan, what are the lessons that can be learned or the conversations that can be started from reading Out of Darkness? Mm. I think the biggest lesson I learned about banning from this is that um, what they're saying it's being banned for and what it's being banned for are not the same. And that, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned is that you can make a great point and you can lose your great point by being too difficult. And that's a whole different, as I, as I said, it brought me to a whole different thinking about making a book unavailable. I, I want my book, any book to be available to my kids for all of the good reasons that we talk about in here. And you can kind of throw a turd in that punch bowl by putting too much difficulty in it. And that, and I don't have fully formed thoughts on it, as I'm sure you can tell, but it introduced it introduced a whole level of thoughts about that that I didn't have at all before about shades of banning and making good points in books and how you might screw that up. Has this affected you as a writer? Because you're you're giving us your reader response, but has it affected the things that you plan to write? I'm certain it will. Yeah. What about you, Vogue? It's, what are the lessons that can be learned from reading this book? Uh, to read what your children are reading. Yeah. Uh, my niece, uh, there's like a, I think it's like Katie Kazoo. She's into that right now. And it's Katie Kazoo switcheroo. So it's basically like, not, uh, you know, it's all the things where you and your kid switch bodies. Okay. But, like a Freaky Friday kind of thing. Yes. Thank you. Freaky Friday type things. But it's like Katie switches with a cat and a dog and something else. Something oh, else. Okay. So it's a series and she loves it. So I bought her, you know, I bought her the book and I almost bought the, the same thing, but I was like, let me, you know, I don't want to be like overbearing and overzealous. Like, and I bought the book too. Let's talk, you know, like, I don't want to make it like, so it's not cool anymore. But now I'm like, no, every time she reads a book, I want to know what it is. And I think I am going to start like a little book club with my niece to just keep tabs on it and answer some questions and and dig into the details. I also want to know what kind of music she likes. It's just, there's some song like that has I Love You Ho is the name of the song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but I would talk about why. <laughs> like the I Love You Ho song. I like some ratchet songs. So let's, let's figure out what you like about this. So I think <laughs> yeah. it's pushing me towards 
you know, just staying involved or, you know, her or my sister, but I'm, I'm the reader <laughs> out of the two of us. Yeah. Hey, so, you're, you're part of the village and you're doing your part. Yeah. yeah. So I your think contribution is the literary auntie. Yeah. So uh, get you a literary auntie if you don't have one uh, or be a literary auntie to people. <laughs> I think that's like number one that it taught me. Um, Everybody got front desk last year for Christmas, you know? <laughs> look, all the way through. So I think that's definitely one thing it taught me. Uh, it made me think about, you know, it pulled a couple of really cool historical references. And I, I appreciate that it brought up the the postcards and it brought up the um, the shooting. It's not Jesus, because that's what happens in schools mostly. Freudian right. slip. And that's so easy to off your tongue now. That's awful. The explosion at the school where all the children, so many of the children died. Um, so learning about, you know, why natural ga- why gas has a smell. I think that was like an interesting element. Uh, and thinking about what does it take for us to make major changes to our systems and, you know, to maintain safety. And I think that the book has some critiques about capitalism, you know, in that in that component. I think as a writer, I am seeking more joy and wanting to write more from that place. But I also know like the next thing that I'll probably finish is a hard and heavy subject. And so it's really thinking about, well, how do I shepherd in those moments of light? Like you were talking about, Susan, Mm -hmm. can I make room for it in the middle of this tragedy? And sometimes it doesn't feel like there's any light. And so is that honest? If I sprinkle in, you know, a little, little like, well, oh, we, and we laughed about this. Um, so figuring out ways to honestly add joy to, to works that are heavy. I think it, it definitely made me want to do that. Cause this was so, so, so hard. Yeah. <sighs> well, thank you both for your very valuable input and for setting the example on how to discuss polarizing topics even when we don't all agree yeah Mm -hmm. you know we could have just sat here yelling at each other and saying well you know now that I read it you're all wrong and it's not Mm -hmm. like that and you could have been jumping all over me for having the audacity to ask you both to read a book that I couldn't bring myself to finish before our conversation (laughs) you might owe us you know chocolate or a drink (laughs) Uh, done you, know, <laughs> you might owe us one of those two things tanya i'd like yeah. to see you anyways and i'd love to meet you in person susan but no. <laughs> yeah, i'll see you susan at the book festival i think i'll oh, see you at the book festival yes <laughs> so Have before we wrap up friend. susan where can people find you and support your work so i'm not at that level yet i, I started a web page but i decided it was premature so just wait for me and then you'll hear from me do you when have I'm ready. any charitable organizations you want to promote in the meantime well, I wasn't prepared for that question. I have a lot. I support the dogs in Ukraine. <laughs> I always think it's worth driving a little forward to drop your stuff off at a battered women's shelter supporting thrift store um, because there are, I can attest that there are women and children who really do need that stuff. So that's so all. So it sounds like you were prepared for that question. <laughs> How about you, Vogue? Where can people support you and find your work? Yeah. Uh, well, Vogue316.com is my website. And then uh, I'm pretty active. Like Instagram makes me happy right now. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> but on Instagram, I'm at Vogue R316. And so uh, the last 
uh, the most recent things I'm working on are, yeah, the book festival is coming. So uh, that's the 21st. So I'll be moderating a panel with Tanya and a lot of other great local artists talking about how we balance this writing life with our like mm -hmm. real life. <laughs> and by that, I mean like the responsibilities of, you know, raising small humans and, you know, feeding yourself decent meals, sleeping. <laughs> so I'm moderating a panel there at the book festival. And then um, on the 14th, I will be at uh, Your Bowl is Beautiful, which is a women's conference at Uncommons. So yeah, all that can be found either on my website. Oh, you can find my meetup group. Just yeah, go to meetup and type in Vogue Robinson and then just join it because I recognize that it's hard to keep up with me. So I'm trying to put it in one place that is easy. And I've decided meetup is going to be that place. Do you oh. want to talk about Cityscape or your artwork? Uh God, I mean, the my, so my visual artwork is on my website as well. Uh, and I am going to start having kind of at home painting gatherings. So if you you need a place to go and get some like refuge and calm, come paint at my house. Uh, and then I actually I actually quit my other job. So we will talk. Oh, about <laughs> I need to write. I can't write with all these jobs, but uh, you could still listen to CityCast Las Vegas because they're wonderful and it's probably the best team. So if you want to listen to things about the city, of Las Vegas and hear from folks who have lived here and, and love it enough to, you know, uh, talk about the good, the bad, and the, the WTF of the city, then CityCast Las Vegas. Yes. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, and then for charities, if you will, uh, Spread the Word Nevada is pretty dope and they give away books. So if yes. you have books you need to get rid of, you should hit them up and see if your books that are in good condition are donatable. You should donate it to them or give them some money because they need to pay their staff. All this good work doesn't get done without paying people so they can buy food and put gas in their car and deal with other things that they need in this life. So donate money <laughs> to yes. spread the word in a bag. <laughs> gallery. We'll take your money too. Thank that's you. That's all for now. <laughs> and that's it for today's conversation. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, comment, and share. Thank you for listening. More importantly, thank you for reading. <laughs>